0: Well, this is our second week in a new message series called Necessities. And I'll bet you can guess from that video that the necessity we're going to talk about this week is water, but not just the H2O variety. We're also going to talk about the living water. Last week, we began this series, and I explained to you that um, I have heard from many of you and myself, uh, I myself have felt um, this Time to be a time for reevaluating what we think is important, what's necessary, and thus we are turning to God's Word to help us define those real necessities in our lives. And the one who speaks to us from the scriptures about this more than any other is Jesus Himself. I led last week with a, a verse from Matthew 25 where Jesus reminded His disciples that the necessity of life were to be shared with other people and he said to them when I was hungry you gave me something to eat and so last week we talked about food and then he said and when I was thirsty you gave me something to drink and so today we are going to talk about um, the things that we drink both spiritually and the things that we drink into our bodies to keep our bodies healthy you know, the body is an amazing creation of God, and it's made up of 50% water. Our lungs alone, those lungs that are so susceptible to this virus that it has been spreading, um, are actually made up of 80% water. Our hearts, our kidneys, our muscles are made up of over 70% water. And we can only live a couple of days without water. We can last longer without food, but water is absolutely essential. But it's not my purpose this morning to give a biology lesson about the amazing attributes of the human body, because there's another kind of water that we need to talk about, and that's God's living water. Now, the Bible had many, many references to water of both types, We know that uh, in the creation story in Genesis, right in Genesis 1, it talks about the Spirit hovering over the waters and God separating the sky from the waters and the land from the waters and eventually creating plants that were sustained by rain that came out of the sky. So we know that water was part of God's creative plan. In the New Testament, we see over and over again when Jesus interacts with water. He was baptized in the Jordan River. And what a thrill and how exciting it was for me in February in the Holy Land to be able to remember my baptism by being immersed in that very same Jordan River. Because that symbol of water, that is that common element that symbols our sacrament. Jesus was baptized with water. He turned water into wine at a wedding, his very first sign or miracle. He called men whose lives work were out on the water as fishermen. But my very favorite story about water was the story of the Samaritan woman that Jesus met at a well one day. I've preached about it before, and I'm not going to give you that whole sermon again, but let me give you a little background so the story will make sense. Jesus needed to go to Jerusalem, and he went straight through Samaria to get there, a place that Jews avoided because Jews despised Samaritans and vice versa. But Jesus, as we know, called everyone and didn't despise anyone. So he paused at midday at a well and needed a drink, and a woman was at that well drawing water, which was very unusual because most of the time water was drawn early in the morning before the heat of the day. But this woman was there alone, and she was there alone for a reason. It's because she was an outcast, ostracized by her neighbors because she was a sinner and they all looked down upon her. She had had five husbands and was now living with someone who wasn't her husband. So the other women didn't want to be seen with her. And she went to the well during the heat of the day. And while she was there, Jesus asked her for a drink, which astonished her. And she replied in kind of a sassy way, saying, you're asking me for a drink? And that's because she was a Samaritan and knew that Jews didn't speak to Samaritans and men didn't speak to women who weren't their wives. So let me share a few verses of that scripture with you this morning, to let you know how Jesus replied to her. But first, the woman said, Sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with, and this well is deep, so how are you going to get this living water? Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well and drank from it, he and his sons and livestock and passed it down to us? Jesus said, Everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. Jesus answered, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink and I would give you fresh living water. And, of course, she went on to ask for that water, and she told her whole community about Jesus. Now, Jesus knew the woman was asking for the H2O, liquid variety of water. But he was really trying to teach her and those in her community that there was a kind of water that was more important. That living water that if we read on in the scripture, we would have learned is what what he's using to refer to the Holy Spirit that's poured into us so that that living water can bubble up within us. And you know, our ancestors in the faith understood this idea of of living water and the need for us to uh, be formed and connect with Jesus. We call that process spiritual formation And I'm going to speak to you in a few moments about spiritual formation, the way it was uh, written about and talked about by a 16th century woman named Teresa of Avila. But in our own Methodist tradition, we cherish this process of formation. John Wesley called it the ordo salutis, which is Latin for the order of salvation. And we teach that God's grace gives us the gift of salvation even before we know that we're receiving it. We call that kind of grace provenient grace, the grace that comes before we even know. It might be a longing that's in our hearts. It might be God working within us even in a tiny baby who's been baptized who really doesn't understand what baptism means yet. But eventually, we discover our shortcomings, our sinful nature, and we ask Jesus to save us. We ask him to be our savior. And when we do that, we are blessed with a kind of grace that's called justifying grace, where we are justified in God's eyes because of what Jesus did, not through our own efforts. And for many denominations or churches, the process kind of stops there. The focus is on converting people to accept Jesus, Now that's really important, but we Methodists don't believe that the process stops there. We believe that once we've accepted the Lord for the rest of our lives, we are formed spiritually through a process of sanctification where we pray and we worship and we do things together that will help us draw closer to Jesus. But we sometimes don't understand that process, and we think it involves tons of work on our part that it's all about what we do, and it's not. And this woman that I referred to earlier, Teresa of Avila, she understood that. She was a religious woman born in the 1500s. She had visions. She led several faith communities like monasteries at a time when women were not in a lot of leadership roles. She was a church reformer and she was persecuted for that. And she developed this way of describing how we draw closer to God and the process we walk through. And she called it the seven mansions. And the reading is kind of complicated to read, but an author named Thomas Ashbrook, has summarized these mansions of the heart, if you will, in this book. And since a lot of us have more time than normal to read right now, if you have some time and you would really like to dig in to this process of spiritual formation, I recommend this book to you. In the book, he talks about how Teresa described the mansions as concentric circles, and how we move from the outside circle in the first mansion toward the most inner circle, where we become one in loving spirit with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And lots of people never get all the way there. It doesn't mean that we're rejected by God, but it takes a long time of loving and trusting God to get there. But Teresa describes this process of moving through the mansions by using an analogy to different kinds of water and ways of gathering water. And the first one goes right back to the scripture I read a moment ago. Um, She describes how we, at first, when we give our lives over to Jesus, we think we have to rush around like crazy people and do everything and earn our way that that salvation is something we earn and that's not what we believe. It's a little bit like the woman working to get water, living water by pulling it up from a well. You know, a bucket of water is heavy and it's being pulled up from the bottom of a very deep well. That's a lot of work. And sometimes we treat our own spiritual formation like it needs to be a lot of work that way. I remember when I first came back to the church after I became a member at Eastlake United, uh, United Methodist Church after I had been gone for 28 years, I sent an email to Pastor Bob and Pastor Dion Hammond, and I said to them, you know, there I need to read. I need to catch up. You know, what should I read, and, and what version of the Bible should I use? This one I got when I was a kid is the King James Version and it's hard to understand with all the doeths and loveths and giveths and thys and nows. isn't there some way for me to do this that's not so hard and they recommended some books and I have them on my shelf in my office now they were helpful but the point is I thought I had to work really hard for Jesus to want to be in a relationship with me because I really didn't understand yet. And as we form spiritually, Teresa says, we eventually find easier ways or less strenuous ways to get to that water. And she said that the next of the four waters is is getting water for a garden using a water wheel. And when we get water for a water wheel, she would of course been referring back to the days when a water wheel was by a water source. People would turn the wheel and it would lift water in buckets and dump them into an aqueduct or a cistern for people to use. So it was less than one bucket at a time in a well, but it was still a lot of work. And what she wanted us to understand that while she was talking about the different ways of putting water on a garden, cultivating a garden, what she was really talking about as the garden were our souls. Our souls are the garden that God wants to receive or give this living water to that we are to receive. So once we mature a little bit more We realize we don't have to work so hard for the water, and we come to a third way of gaining water, and that's by just receiving it from a stream. You know, a stream flows down a mountain, and then the work we do is to divert it off so it goes into irrigation channels and furrows that we have in the garden. And we might think of that as, you know, the things we do to prepare our hearts to receive God's living water might be prayer it might be service but the ultimate way for us to receive water reminds me a little of the scene from the movie with Fred Astaire singing in the rain where he's dancing out in the rain where he turns his face up to the sky and the rain pours down on him and he's joyful that's how God wants to pour his spirit into our parched hearts that's how he wants to give us grace in our souls. He wants to let it just pour down on upon us by rain, where all we have to do is open our arms and receive it. Now, I know this is Florida, and we don't have snow here, but how many of you have either seen in person or back up north at times a child out in the snow, which is just frozen rain, with their tongue out trying to catch snowflakes? That's how God wants us to receive his grace. You know, to go back to my early days in the Methodist church back in 2009, I had a really tough conversation one day with Pastor Bob. I was worried that I had been gone from church too long. I didn't really believe that God would forgive all those years of inattention. So I'm I'm pouring out, you know, are you sure? Is this really true? I just feel overwhelmed by all this. And Bob looked at me and he said, you know, Pam... You are not being drowned by a tidal wave right now. That's God's grace pouring down on you like rain. Just let it come. And you won't believe what happens to your life. And you know, he was right. Here we are, it's 11 or 12 years later. (laughs) I thought God would never forgive me. And I'm in ministry here with you and with Pastor Bob. I had no idea what would happen when I just opened my heart and let God water my soul with his living water. You see, our growth as disciples doesn't doesn't require so much of us, so much in the way of hard work, physical work, or doing, doing, doing. If we want to find Jesus, we have to take time to seek. If we want to relate God we have to make time to sit quietly for that relationship to grow if we want to draw close to him sometimes we have to be humble in that we wait longer than we want to because God does what God does in his time and not ours and if we want to hear the still small voice of God then even when we pray It can't be all of us asking and lamenting and thanking. Sometimes we just need to shut up and sit quietly and listen so that what God pours into us, that living water, is something we can receive. You know, I've been trying to remind us the last few weeks of some of the values that we talked about earlier this year pre-COVID-19. And one of those values is the value of authenticity. And that value says we want, we strive to be authentic, and we live out what Jesus taught us. So what did Jesus teach us? He didn't teach us that we were supposed to be busy 24 hours a day. He was a busy man. He was teaching, he was calling disciples, he was healing. But Jesus knew when it was time for him to withdraw to pray. Time for him to withdraw and to connect to his father. And if we want to be authentic and be like Jesus, we need to make time to do that too. It takes time. It takes a willingness to sit quietly. It takes a willingness to listen. We're to cooperate with the spirit but we're to follow the Spirit. We're not to guide our own spiritual formation. We're to allow God to teach us, and we are to discern what it is that God is teaching us. You know, God taught us a lot about living water through the words of his beloved son, Jesus. There's a passage in John. It's a little later than the passages I've already talked to you about. Jesus um, first says he's not going to attend the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem because it's not yet his time, and he knows that the Pharisees and the Sadducees are after after him and want to kill him, that they disagree with him. He has been critical of them. But eventually, he arrives in Jerusalem, and he teaches in the temple courts. And in a moment, when he is just overwhelmed with the emotion of the mission that he is to do, that he was sent to do by his Father, he says this. On that final and climactic day of the feast, Jesus took his stand. He cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Rivers of living water will brim and spill out of the depths of anyone who believes in me this way, just as the scripture says. Jesus was begging the people to come to him with nothing more than a willingness to receive. In the following verses, the scripture teaches us that he was referring to the Holy Spirit, the very same Holy Spirit that was sent to the church at Pentecost and gave birth to what still exists today, right here at St. Paul. He took ordinary necessities of life, like wine, like bread, and ordained the sacrament of Holy Communion. He took water after he himself was baptized and taught us that we should baptize the nations in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit using water, what you don't always see during the sacrament of baptism. In addition to the sprinkling that Pastor Bob does upon the person being baptized he makes a sign of the cross on their forehead and calls upon the Holy Spirit to baptism of the Spirit as well as the water. You know, we're going to see this as a recurring theme in this message series. There's a physical co- component, like food, like H2O water, and there's a spiritual component. And we're not only called to receive these gifts from God, but we're also called to pass them on and share them with others. When we do that, God sees and God provides. I can't help but think of Yvette Carter and open arms, how many times an event's been approaching and we haven't had enough to serve all the people. And then at the 11th hour, there's a great gift of food. And Yvette looks at me and says, see... Even with the Jubilee and the difficulty of really collecting a lot of supplies right now because of the church being closed, we'll have a one-day event and that will be enough because a benefactor has given us tons of supplies and we're only missing a few items. God knows what we need and God will provide, but he also knows that we need more. God knows we need more than the physical things. And so, I'd like to remind you that Jesus said this in Matthew's gospel to us. He said, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Yes, we'll eat our meals and we'll drink our water, but let us focus on drawing closer to the Lord. Let us prepare our hearts to be watered as we do nothing more than throw our arms open and raise our face to the sky and receive his grace pouring down like rain. It feels great. I know. I've been there.